you know, he was, he was a rainmaker. And I, I remember expressing to him one time, I'm, I'm afraid to call this person. And he, he, he stopped me and he said, John, that's the job. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the One Visit Away podcast. In this episode, we have John DeLang from the DeLang Marketing Group and Summit Ministries, and uh, he's got some phenomenal stories to share with us in this episode. But as a brief intro, it always amazes me how many people follow me on LinkedIn and don't know that I have a podcast because I post about it pretty frequently. It's all over my profile. Um, And so it also wouldn't surprise me if a lot of you listening to this podcast don't know that I have a course. Um, People, you know, message me every day asking for, hey, what's, you know, what do you think about how do you schedule visits in this way? How do you respond when somebody has this objection? And I just don't have time to respond to everybody individually, which is part of the reason I made my course Major Gift Millions. Uh, It's like 40 plus video lessons of me teaching everything I think you needed to need to know on how to succeed in major gifts. And we're coming up on 300 students enrolled in that course. But if you want to go learn more about it, you can go to onevisitaway.com slash millions, learn more about the course, go get enrolled. There's a 30 day money back guarantee. So if for any reason you want your money back, uh, just let me know and I'll give you a full refund within 30 days. And I look forward to seeing you in the course. In the meantime, enjoy this great conversation with John DeLang. Well, welcome to the One Visit Away podcast, John. Thanks for being here. I'm excited for the conversation, Kevin. So before we get going, uh, yeah, just introduce yourself briefly, uh, who you are, what you do, and then we'll, we'll kind of take it from there. Sure thing. So I've had a chance to hold a number of different roles throughout the, the last 10 years, but right now I work for Summit Ministries. That is my full-time position. I, I manage our direct mail and digital fundraising for a Christian organization that does biblical worldview training. And I previously had a full-time role with them in major gifts and still keep a, a small caseload of about two dozen relationships at that organization. So it's a lot of fun to you know, represent that organization, both in the mass communication technology-enabled space, but also in the interpersonal visits, phone calls, events, and strategic objectives side of things. That's, that's, my, that's my day job. My, my joy outside of that is helping other organizations with similar missions do their fundraising in a proactive manner. Sometimes that looks like upgrading their major gifts. Sometimes that looks like uh, putting together a, a better automated program for, for monthly giving or emails, communication strategies, and that sort of thing. That's what I do under my own shingle, Delang Marketing Group. That's the, that's the professional side of things. I grew up on a farm here in Michigan, and if you want to talk about strawberries or you know, animals or all that stuff, I, I used do. to work in politics. We could, we could take it a lot of different directions. <laughs> so it's funny because... So this podcast will most likely air a week after 
uh, Andrew Olson was just on the so he and I recorded yesterday, but his will air on Monday. Yours will go the following Monday. And Andrew lives on a farm, and so we talked about farm animals quite a bit there. So strawberries, farms, whatever, that is the next, uh, that's the next phase of the One Visit Away podcast is going deep on, uh, on all things outdoors. I'm mostly joking, but, uh, that's awesome. I, I've had a couple conversations with Andrew about that and we, we compared experiences with chickens and turkeys and, and farm animals and that sort of thing. I don't know if you've had Joel Eaton on the podcast, but he's another another farming fundraiser. And it's there's a number of interesting parallels that happen with that. And you know as well as I do that, that major donor relationships don't spring up and bear fruit overnight. And probably the best the best analogy that can be drawn from from farming to our profession in fundraising is that you need to prepare and continue cultivating in order to, to reap a harvest and jumping to the end. Sometimes, you know, you see a, a major donor officer or executive director come in and close big gifts. Sometimes they are harvesting what has already been cultivated in the organization. Um, and so I'm, I'm thankful in, in roles that I've had where, where that has been the case and, other ones where I've had the chance to plant plant the seeds and water them, so to speak, and, and other people can harvest. It's yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah, and it's a really interesting thing that uh, some people have a tough time grasping is the concept of you've got to cultivate this thing, you've got to water it, you got to let it grow before you harvest it, because if you haven't seen it done, like if you've never seen how a six or seven figure gift comes about, you just have no understanding of like, how would someone go on to make a decision that was incredibly meaningful to them? So sometimes you'll see somebody who's like, man, I went, they always talk about it as they did the thing. Like, like it was all like, I accomplished these things. I walked in. I told the donor, like, this is what we're doing. This is why you got to give us the money. They gave us $10,000. And, you know, I I made them give us $10,000 or something like that. You'll hear some people talk like this. And what they don't understand is they're the kid that plucked the strawberry that's like weeks out from being ready to be harvested. And it's like this tiny puny uh sour thing that no one wants to eat and they're like look what i got i'm so awesome and it's like well if you would have waited you could have had this beautiful thing that you can't even comprehend because you're so fixated on your timeline and what you want to get done yeah as we as we record this we're just one week past the end of the year and in as i was i was going for my run yesterday listening back to back episodes of one visit away as I'm sure all of your your listeners do, they're they're sweaty leotards as they're they're trucking along. I I love it. I'm sure I'm sure that's what everyone is is doing right now as they're listening to us chat about this. Uh, anyway, I I heard you talking about it, it's too late in the year to ask for end of year gifts, or asking for end of year gifts uh, does an end run around the strategic giving process, especially for people that are making complex giving decisions over a multi year process. They catch the vision of the organization 
and they would invest largely in in your mission, but we need to make sure that we mirror their process. I've, I've worked with people that have been selling businesses. Their business had, you know, the sale of their business had no bearing on our calendar year or our fiscal year. Going to them and asking them to finish up their charitable lead trust annuity agreement for the organization so that way we could have an end of year gift would have been pointless in in their yeah. decision making process. For sure. For sure. So <clears throat> we have so many things to discuss, but I'm going to take us away with a little story to bring us back to your professional beginnings. And that is one time I posted about this on LinkedIn years ago, probably before most people followed me. It was one of my first posts on LinkedIn um, back in, I don't know, this might have been 2018 or something. I was sitting at a coffee shop. I was in a corner bakery and I'm working away and there's this <laughs> there's this young man who's uh who's there most days working at the corner bakery and he's got his laptop and he's always on the phone with people and one day he comes up to me and he's like, "Hey, I like that sweater." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no. Oh no." I'm being targeted and uh he was he was working for some, you know, multi-level marketing organization and I was not interested, but I would see this guy in there like every day. I would go into this coffee shop and one day he had some new recruits who were uh <laughs> who were who were listening to him espouse his great wisdom. And the line, this is what I posted about. Um, the line that he says was, look, I can't, <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. I got into this business for the same reason everybody does. For the same five reasons everybody does. Money, 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 and money. <laughs> and <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, that is... That thinking is the uh, the problem with a lot of network marketing, multi-level marketing companies, but there are some good ones out there and there's some good like training and experience people get from them. And you happened to work for one of these when you were getting started in your early days. So could you just tell everybody about that experience and kind of some of the, the big takeaways you got from it? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And thank you so much for the the thriving recommendation for the industry as in general, right? Kevin? <laughs> money, 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 with, money, and money. With that, with that introduction, I'd be happy to share. No, I I had a chance to participate, um, you know, with an organization that was doing uh, personal development materials. That was their product they were selling, and a lot of the sales training with that organization was really solid and it applies across multiple industries. And I've, I've had the chance to carry that, um, that, that mindset with me through other organizations. And I think it's really interesting. Both you and I have spent a career in major gifts or, or fundraising in general in our twenties. A lot of people I've talked to don't get started in fundraising until later on in their organ in their professional career. And that they take, they take a number of mentalities, 
um, mental armor, enthusiasm, sales tactics with them into the profession. And I had a chance to learn in a, as you, as you uh, pointed out, an intent, a relatively intense environment <laughs> early on when I was about 18. I, the reason I got started in that was someone contacted me for their, for their MLM while I was working in politics. Like I said, I grew up on a farm. You don't have, you don't have thousands of interactions. You have quite a few. I, I worked with lots of customers on the farm, but I was a pretty shy kid. And I wanted to overcome that. And when I was 16, 17, I had some political aspirations. So I, I took an internship with a political campaign and dialed phones all day long. And I guess one of the other volunteers on the campaign or something like that thought I'd make a good network marketer. So they got, <laughs> they contacted me and we had a, you know, some time to get to know those, those training materials. And here's the thing. I have a number of uh, mental frameworks that carry over almost directly to major gifts. Things like this idea that action cures fear. That, that mentality is so important for fundraisers to begin the process of scheduling visits. We're, we can be fearful when, when we look at our call sheet, we can look at our portfolio we can look at a new year. We're back to zero. What are we going to do to raise this hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in, in 2023 or beyond? Well, action is going to cure that fear. And you know, there's, there's a number of things like that. I have uh, several, several books that have really helped me, and I'm, I'm thankful for them. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I think just the... <sighs> Any, any time we can sort of get forced to do things that are uncomfortable, the more you can, you know, have something uncomfortable and do it anyway, the better off you're going to be just in life in general. Like I remember when I was, uh, when I was growing up and by the way, I don't know how old you are now, but I'm no longer in my 20s. I turned 30 last year, so I'm I'm officially an old man. But how old are you? I'm 28. Okay, you're 28. So you still experience the same thing I did, which was that like the phone was becoming out of style when we were when we mm-hmm. were growing up. Like people it started to become less normal that like you would call people's houses and stuff like as we were getting older. And so like just calling to order a pizza, for example, was something that like, I know some of my peers didn't want to do. They were like, if somebody needed to order a pizza, like I don't want to do it. Kevin, can you call him? And I was like, okay, sure. And and so it's funny, like even just little things like that, like choosing to not be the person that calls Domino's to order a pizza is just like a little, it's a little thing you're adding to your resistance of like, oh, I don't do things that are, that are uncomfortable. So I think being in an environment, um, multi-level marketing or otherwise with like with, with good people who want to advance, you know, something of value, uh, who push you on to do the uncomfortable thing is incredibly helpful. And I think that's one of the things I had too, is just like, 
mentors that were just like, this is the thing. Like you got to go visit with your donors and that's the most important thing. So I think that's awesome. You started there and started uh, getting it done. I, I expressed in, in my first job out of college, I had, I had the opportunity to work for a um, pro-life pregnancy center and I was the director of development and the executive director that hired me recognized I was a young guy and set me up with a fundraising mentor who had been in fundraising for more than 20 years. He fundraised uh, a great deal through the, the great financial crisis, 2008, 2011, and grew his organization's revenue tremendously during that time. And he was, Andrew Olson talks about being a rainmaker. You know, he was, he was a rainmaker. And I, I remember expressing to him one time, I'm, I'm afraid to call this person. And he, he, he stopped me. He said, John, that's the job. And kind of just moved on from there. And I'll, I'll never forget his response to, to my voiced fear in the process as I, as I looked at that. Well, this is the job. We could choose not to do the job, but there are consequences that, that come with that. And there's, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, I've heard you talk about before, Kevin, too, with the idea that, hey, we can, when we, when we dilute a fundraiser's job away from the things that are actually the job to the things that are more comfortable, people can hide behind the fact, well, I need to get this, this napkin folded. I need to get this email written. I need to work on the, the website uh, services page or the, you know, I need to update the board's headshots or whatever it happens to be that's yeah, distracting exactly. us from scheduling visits. File cabinets are out of control. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, for sure. That's amazing. So, yeah, I think that advice is great. <laughs> Just the, that's the job. Like, <laughs> get on with it is phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, I think there's a huge value to being surrounded by people who encourage you to, to move forward. Which, yeah, let's, let's jump into, before we run out of time, there's a lot of other questions I have just about you and your career and stuff. But tell me, you, you've prepared some stories you, you have of visits you've been on or gifts that have been closed. Um, yeah, if you want to just take it away with your, uh, your first one there, I'd appreciate it. Sure. So the one that I was thinking of that I wanted to share with you, Kevin, is indicative of how I think I, I, I approach a lot of conversations with people. I want to make sure that we're honoring their interests and their willingness to engage with the organization according to what they are already into. So often we show up and we say, we do a great job doing X, Y, and Z thing. And your checks notes Oh yeah, you're a lawyer, so you you will be interested in in this thing. It, it, a lot of times, these long term relationships need to emerge from what that person is interested in, and the the intersection of the Venn diagram with their circle of what they're interested in and the organization's mission. So we had a CEO on our lapsed donor list that I saw. This was a number of years ago. And he had stopped giving about five years prior. As I'm searching away, working on my prospect list, I found out that 
he was not only a CEO, his company was worth more than $10 billion. And I thought this, this guy will make a good prospect. And rather, rather than calling, uh, there was no, there was no phone record on, on the record, or there was no phone number on the record. And rather than mailing, we had an outdated email or mailing address and no email on file and, and all this sort of thing. I started with Google searching the company and I eventually got to a point where I found an address of his to his employees about his personal philosophy of leadership and service. And at that time I thought we might have something. So the next time I was in that city, it was, it was more than a hundred miles away. I needed an excuse to go down there. I was able to schedule a few visits and I walked into their international headquarters armed with a handwritten note and a book that mildly connected to what I heard in that keynote. Uh, and in, in the note was, hello, Bob, here is, here is what I heard you say in your keynote. We would really appreciate if you would be willing to share that message of personal responsibility and service on our podcast with our president. Here's my email address. I hope you enjoy the book. See ya. And I walk into the, the international headquarters, immediately get stopped by security. and to, I'm told I can go no further. And so at that point, I handed it to the security guard and said, look, can you give this to Bob's secretary? I figured they would tell me, get lost, if I told them that they needed to walk into the CEO's office with, with a handwritten note. Who knows what's in there, right? Anyway, they, they gave it to the secretary, and he emailed me back. It, it, took, it took several weeks, but he agreed to come on the podcast and we, we allowed him an opportunity to share the message that he was already interested in and how that connected to our missional values. We didn't ask for a gift. We didn't ask for a gift at the end of the podcast recording. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't immediately follow it up with a gift proposal or an end-of-year letter. It, over the, the past several years, he has given several times but it's not a it's not a transactional it's not a transactional relationship and i found out later i i was able to refer him to another keynote speaking opportunity because it, i felt that it fit his mission and the mis- message that he wanted to share and he told me after that that other keynote someone had come up to him and said will you come on our podcast and he said i don't do podcasts and then as I'm walking him to the door, he's like, I don't usually do keynotes either, John, but thanks for this, thanks for this opportunity. And I'm, it's, it's really exciting to, to find those places where people can be activated according to their, their personal mission and the message they want to share as it overlaps with your organization. Yeah, that's amazing. And I love, I love stories like that because, um, Hopefully, to all of you listening, it will inspire you to go do similar things. Because I think a lot of times, like a lot of people would say, "Ah, John, don't waste your time doing that. Like he's not gonna, he's not gonna come to your thing." You think a guy like that's gonna get your message and respond to you? And it's like, yeah, like, like why wouldn't he? What? So many times we we you know determine, oh, this person is too busy or too many people are approaching them. And it's like, well, if everybody thinks that, then nobody's actually doing it. So it's, in some ways, 
in some ways, we'd be surprised by how many people reach out to someone like that. But in other ways, sometimes it's like a lot fewer than you would think, especially through a unique form of communication. Yeah, the you want to get into the channels that are not crowded. And so often the email, the email channel is crowded. So often at the end of the year, the phone lines are crowded. And yeah, there's, there are ways to get in touch with, with busy people, but generally when you get in touch with them, you don't want to get in touch with them on something that they need to, uh, you know, they're not going to get value from. And that's, that's a big challenge. And it, it, this one, this one took a while (laughs) in order to, to pull off. And I, I, I would, I'm glad for the autonomy that I was given in my position at that time to pursue an opportunity that certainly seemed like a long shot to all involved. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And also just the approach is outstanding, much more effective than uh, dropping off a pamphlet with the, uh, you know, <laughs> the fundraising needs of the organization. Uh. <laughs> yeah. When we mail, we mail a giving portfolio or, or an end of year brochure to a major donor who hasn't given in five years, I can't imagine that it stands out amongst the other hundred that they've gotten in the last two weeks. Yeah. This is what I've been waiting for. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Okay. So I told you to just pick your, uh, like three of your favorite stories, but I'm going to ask you about one of them, sure. uh, which may or may not be on your self-selected list. The furniture story. You've posted about this. I'm curious. Let's hear it. <laughs> I I like this story a lot. It's a lot of fun, and i i will I will set up a little bit of, of background for it. So, our organization at Summit Ministries produces live events for biblical worldview training in multiple states around the country. And my wife and I were visiting one of our live events in the the southeast area, and we had the opportunity to stay at a donor's mountain home nearby to the campus of, of our, our conferences. They were overjoyed that we were going to stay at their home. They love activating this beautiful picturesque setting for people who are in ministry. We found out that the people who were going to stay in it after us were a young missionary couple who had just gotten married and didn't have enough money for a honeymoon. So this donor had given them, um, a week or two weeks access to their mountain home and basically said, you know, enjoy yourself. So we, we were the recipients of their generosity to begin with already personally uh, beyond any financial commitments that they had given to the organization in, in our lead up to that visit where we were staying at their home, they gave me a number of caveats. They said, look, we know there's lots of projects going on. You know, it's a work in progress, this, all this and that. And I'm sure you've, you've run into this, Kevin, and, and those who are listening can think of it too. People undersell their own, their own achievements. And, you know, they say, well, we're doing well for ourselves or we're thankful to be able to give this. This was a very nice place to stay. And they were, the thing that they had mentioned to me, though, was that they were wanting to build out a outdoor seating area on the lip of this mountain overlooking the the valley. And at that point, when we showed up, there was no furniture outside. 
uh, I had found out that that their anniversary was coming up, and I had just finished reading the the book Giftology, and so I don't I don't know if you guys have talked much on about the pod on, on the podcast about Giftology before. I'd highly recommend major gift officers check that book out because it talks about the the power of a gesture of generosity from people that truly have a relationship with one another. It's it's more than sending a keychain with your organization's logo on it to a major donor and hoping that they send you a thousand dollars back. It that's not giftology. <laughs> uh, so we found out that this donor's or uh, this donor's anniversary was coming up and they were going to join for the last day that we were staying at their home uh, to visit the the in-person conference. And so in the lead up to that, this was right around the weekend of their anniversary, we went to the local store and picked out a simple table and chairs set and wrote a note along with a bouquet of flowers and a, a bottle of wine. We were able to find out what uh, what kind of wine they liked and put that together in their home saying, we hope that this gift bridges the gap between now and when you choose to build out your full uh, deck furniture set. We recognize that you have other guests who are going to benefit from the generosity of this home like we have. And we hope that they can deepen their experience with, with this gift. And so we were able to, to pass that along to them. They were, they were excited um, and it has opened up the relationship beyond just a financial trans- transaction and, and use of a home to I've heard stories about their grandkids and, and how things are going. It's a very warm relationship. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's all part of building relationships in the, in the process. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Like the huge, uh, the huge, one of the huge takeaways from giftology and like John said, everybody should read it. It's a quick read. It's very, uh, entertaining. It's easy to read. It's funny. Um, and you know, I, I think one of the biggest takeaways is like, it doesn't have to be an expensive thing, but it's gotta be like a thoughtful thing. And that's something that for, you know, it, you know, you're not going to go buy a, uh, you know, furniture for all of your donors or something of a equivalent expense, but just a little thing like what you mentioned with the previous, um, story, you know, you listen to the guy's, uh, speech here's a book that's like related to that. There's like small things you can do or send people that don't cost a lot of money, but show like I value you and I listen, I pay attention and hear something that just, you know, little things like that mean a lot to people. Yeah. There's one of the, one of the other stories that that we were emailing back and forth about in, in preparation for the podcast was someone who it was, it was, I'm not joking. The first day I was making calls for the organization, I got a call back from someone after I'd left a message. And, you know, I'd worked in fundraising before. This never happens. And I got a call back from this person. And he tells me why he loves the organization, what his past experience was and and all this stuff. And that was someone who was giving in the, the mid five figures on average each year. And over the course of the last four or five years, we've, we've had a number of uh, 
times where we've been together in person, uh, visits, you know, they've been, they've been generous, uh, larger than, larger than their kind of baseline, we'll call it. Uh, but one of the things that, you know, pertains to what you were just mentioning, Kevin, is they mentioned a specific book and I added it to my reading list. And the next time we were together, we were together for a donor immersion weekend event, which um, is great for moving relationships forward. If the organization can bring enough major donors together, um, when we were together at that weekend, I shared with him, Hey, this is what I thought of that book. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't get paid per hour to read books uh, from, right. from donor recommendations. That one was something that, again, fit my interests and all this stuff. And I was, I was happy to share and they have moved, uh, they have moved to a, a multi-year uh, six figure commitment. Uh, and it's, it's great to help people see the vision of the organization and honor them with personal attention and value, whether it costs a hundred dollars, like the, the couple chairs in the little table or, yeah. you know, the $20 book that is connected to the, the CEO's keynote. There's lots of opportunities. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. My last thing I'll, I'll show you, I, I, nobody else can see this, but <clears throat> inspired by giftology, you may have heard me talk about, I got my, my metal business cards and, uh, they're pretty, pretty sweet. There's something about like, you can, there's a, they're nice and hefty. So when you, when you give these to somebody, it's just like every single person I've ever given one of these to stops and is like, Whoa, what? what is this? And cause people, people never get rid of them. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in that book. Not, uh, not all applies to nonprofit life, but like 90% of it does for sure. That's fascinating. Kevin, you strike me as someone who, once you consume a resource like giftology, you are one of the people, the few people that take the advice and implement it a hundred percent. Were there, were there any oh, yeah. books or resources <laughs> like that that you, early in your career, you encountered and then have made a point to implement 100%? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I also, I'm a very all-in type of person, which also leads to uh, <clears throat> somewhat, what's the word? My Maybe wife calls it obsession. Overly sometimes. enthusiastic. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> overly enthusiastic recommendations of things. Uh, but what were you saying about your wife? Oh, she, she tells me to stop being obsessed over things sometimes. Yeah, She's exactly. Like, you love, you so, love this stuff. Ch tech challenges, you know, mental, right. mental hurdles, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the book I've, I've talked about it lots of times before. Um, but wow, I just thought of six different books at the same time, but it's right up there. Fanatical prospecting um, is like if there's one book I for like that probably had the biggest uh, day to day impact on my work. It's fanatical prospecting. Anytime I'm in any sort of rut, whether it was back in major gifts or now in consulting, if I need to go get new clients. I'm getting inspiration from that book. Um, other stuff, I mean, Born to Raise by Jerry Panis. I loved that book just from a, you know, what does a highly successful major gift fundraiser look like? Like, what are their qualities? 
that kind of thing. Um, those are some of the the big ones. But yeah, if I if there's someone I believe is like the best in the world at a particular thing, I'm just going to do what they do until I find maybe a slight nuance or something that that works better. Like the the metal business card thing, I wouldn't do if you work at a nonprofit. Now that I have a what I hope to convey as a premium uh, consulting business and, you know, digital products and that kind of thing. Like I want someone to get this card and immediately think, oh, wow, that's probably pretty expensive. Um, like I, I want to convey that immediately. Um, and and it's stuff like that. I just, yeah, I, if somebody else is doing it, that's like way further along than me, I'm going to test it out. And usually most of it applies, which by the way, have you read, now we're just you and me are talking. Uh, have you read Million Dollar Consulting by Alan Weiss? It is on my list. I've not read it yet. That's your that's your next book. It's it's so good. It's obnoxiously good. And uh, if you're in the consulting world or you own a business or pretty much anybody, I would recommend that book too. Just from a understanding value perspective um it's it's gold so i'd highly recommend that that's wonderful i think while we're on the topic of books i think the i have several that are in my my top four yeah. or five but my my top two that are applicable somewhat to major gifts somewhat to in people having high high success habits in in any area are one the magic of thinking big by dr david j schwartz i've read that book yeah. every year since I was 18 and okay. for better or for worse, I, I got the recommendation in, in the network marketing world, but that was, yeah, it's big in that world. That I, one so is, yeah. it's funny you say that because it's also, I think that's one of Tim Ferriss's favorite books or it, it's, it's a good book. <laughs> there are many, uh, there are many like highly successful people that are big fans of that book. I bought it and I, I read like the first few pages and I couldn't get into it for some reason. Um, but there must be a barrier I need to push through because everybody loves it. Skip to chapter three and and go from there. The, the first two chapters are um, very basic. At, chapter three is called Action Cures Fear, essentially. And from there, it's, it's all really actionable stuff. Uh, I, I especially appreciate the, the last sections about managed solitude. I'm a I'm an input person on the Strengths Finder, so I love to have lots of lots of things coming towards me in social media, emails, books. I, I need time to process those things. the The other book that's very high up on my list is a sales book, actually, and it's more than 110 years old. And I think it is as applicable today as it was when Frank Betcher wrote it in the early early 1900s. He was a major league player for the St. Louis Cardinals who threw out his knee and began selling life insurance. The book is called How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling by Frank Betcher. B-E-T-T-G-E-R. And his book talks about all of the things that go into setting visits, tracking results, um, what to do in a visit how to move people to action, how to double your own enthusiasm, 
one of the things that has stuck with me forever is the analogy of the hawser line in setting visits. And this is very much on, on brand for one visit away. His analogy, as he was walking through the, the dockyards of Philadelphia in his life insurance career, he saw the boats that were coming into the dock and these massive, massive cables would pull the boats in to their port. And the problem was no one could move those large cables from the, from the boat to the dock in order to pull them in. What they had to do first was throw a small, a small cord, what they call a heaving line off of the boat that was connected to the end of the hawser line. And by pulling that across, someone was able to catch it, to anchor the, the large cord and then bring the, the full boat in. And I've always thought that way about setting meetings. We're not, we're not pitching the mission of the organization. We're not pitching the gift. We're not pitching ourselves, our value. This is not a referendum on whether or not John DeLang or Kevin Fitzpatrick is a good fundraiser. We're just asking for the meeting. The heaving line is the only thing we're throwing. <laughs> we can get the boat into dock later. And that's, that's stuck with me forever. I don't think I'll ever be able to get rid of that one. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I think the, yeah, those books sound awesome. I think one of the the key takeaways uh, for everybody listening though is like, there's so much value in books. Like, it, it's crazy to me. There's someone I once worked with that said that they hadn't read a professional book or any book in like 30 years. I was like, holy biscuits and gravy! Like, you can the the, the thing about books is, I mean, you can have somebody who is like the number one performer in the world in something and they can write all of their best thoughts and advice down in a book that you can buy for $20. And it's like, you should probably read that thing because it's, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable um, how much value you can gain from books, but also just from being in the habit of being open to, learning and trying out new things. Absolutely. There's, there's a great deal of that. And one thing that I would caution people is don't make, don't make books your personal value uh, indicator. Reading, reading 50 books in a year sounds cool on social media when you post about it on December 30 and everybody says, <laughs> yeah. good for you, you read 50 books this year. But implementing three to four fully could transform your entire career. Right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. Um, man, we're starting to get, uh, close to time here. Um, I'm just curious, how did you start the delaying marketing group? How did that, uh, get its origin? So, the background of, of the business was initially traditional digital marketing. I was contacted by a sales rep for a digital agency that was selling SEO products, website design, graphic design, and Google AdWords management. And I looked into it and thought, this is a great business opportunity. So I, I purchased a franchise of a digital agency and sold digital marketing products to small businesses and nonprofits mm. for several years. Over the course of that time, I recognized that the technician aspect 
of, of those things is really important for organizations. But the strategy layer is something that needs personal connection and it needs to emerge from a, a place of deep understanding and enthusiasm, both on the part of the executive director and the person that's leading those, leading those efforts. I believe that your technology, your website, your, your Google ad grants, all this stuff is there to function well, and it can facilitate relationships for your organization. And so that's over, over the course of the last five or six years, uh, that's where the business has gone, um, helping organizations conceive of their, their technology as a place to facilitate relationships and then bring in some of my other experiences from major gifts work to help double down on setting visits, being consistent in, in approaches to fundraising and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Did, uh, <clears throat> so I know, so you got started with the franchise thing originally, but had people like reached out to you just like wanting help with or advice on uh, marketing or fundraising things before you uh, started doing things proactively on your own? Here and there they had, it was, it was more of a, a belief in my own um, prospecting and, and sales process. I thought, Hey, I can, I can reach out to, um, nonprofits that I care about that, that want to upgrade their, their marketing. And we could, we could find a great solution with some of these things. My, my thought, Kevin, is that people get started, they lead nonprofits, they begin nonprofits because they're passionate about the cause and the realities of running a nonprofit are essentially similar to running a small business. And there are many things that small business owners just would rather focus on um, one versus the other. Sometimes they say, look, I, I enjoy, this is my dad to a T on the farm. He loves farming. He doesn't like the business aspects of farming. And there's a lot of them that come with it. Similar with, with nonprofits. Um, you know, they love the programs. Uh, and I, I have a lot of joy in talking with people that are enthusiastic about the mission of their organization. But there's a lot of technical and, and business acumen that uh, that comes with running a, a small nonprofit. And so we wanted to we wanted to help close that gap in in a way that was that facilitated the fulfillment of their mission. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, where can people find you slash is there anything you'd like to promote or send people to before we sign off? Sure. I would love if people come and check out um, our, our ecosystem on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll, if you come visit my profile, John DeLang, uh, on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll find a number of resources and I would be happy to connect you to any other, um, specialist in, in the nonprofit services world that I know of, um, point you towards Kevin or any of the other podcasts, uh, authors, blogs, resources that are, are out there. That's, that's my number one hub for right now, Kevin. And I'm looking to work with three or four uh, Christian nonprofits in the you know small to medium range in the new year. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, last question. Do you have any uh, projects you're working on or things to be revealed? Um, you know, 
podcasts, blogs, anything? Is there anything next after the uh, the LinkedIn experience? Uh, I have I have purchased a couple domain names. We shall see which of them wins the race right. and becomes the the new home of some of my services. Okay, sweet. I look forward to it. Well, John, thanks for coming on the show and uh, look forward to talking soon. Thanks, Kevin. That was John DeLang with the DeLang Marketing Group. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you did, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for everybody who participated in the giveaway for Major Gift Millions. Uh, I'm about to contact the winner to let them know that they have uh, been victorious. And thank you to everybody who participated. I really appreciate it. Um, And as always, I hope this episode has inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization.